Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. And I have to say, it was kind of depressing this morning going through all of the daily newspapers, just looking at the photographs in the papers uh, today. Absolutely heartbreaking uh, scenes coming out of the Ukraine and scenes that we hoped, I suppose, we would never see in Europe again. And in particular, I think it was in the Irish Daily Mail, they focused on a group of little children, small children, all huddled together. They're all sitting on numbered benches you can see the fear and the apprehension in their eyes and they are the children from the Donetsk region and they were being led yesterday through drills as obviously war exploded across the Ukraine and it was images looking at it it was like something that we would have seen during the Blitz during World War II in London when you would have seen English school children doing all of these uh, drills in how to get as quickly as possible into the underground bomb shelter. And that's what they were doing yesterday. They were training the little ones in what uh, to do. And they're just, they're haunting echoes of the Second World War. But it's the fear in these little children's, their primary school uh, children, the fear in their eyes. And as they're all sitting in the bunker and practising, and obviously their teachers are telling them, this is what we'll have to do if, if you know, the sirens go off and you're at uh, school. And, and they're all wearing their little masks. And you forget that COVID hasn't gone away and they all have their COVID masks on. And then, you know, scenes in other newspapers, I mean, there's pictures of people standing around the body of a relative who had been killed following a bombing in a Ukraine uh, town. There's one photograph that is making, I think, nearly all of the papers. It's a wounded woman. She's standing outside her apartment uh, block. It's in um, some part of Ukraine and the apartment block where she was had been live, was living in had been damaged by an airstrike yesterday. And then there's a photograph of a woman. She's kind of huddled up, sitting with her bags and she is waiting for 
train to leave Ukraine but seemingly there wasn't enough trains yesterday for all of the people who wanted to leave and then in the midst of all of those really really heartbreaking photographs I suppose there's one photograph that contains joy and gives a little bit of hope for one Irish family and it's a photograph of nine day old baby Luke Moynihan and he woke up yesterday morning safely at home in County Kerry with his parents Dermot and Doherty and they of course had a frantic mission to bring their little baby son home safely from the uh, Ukraine. Just two days before the Moynihans had been in Ukraine scrambling to get the emergency travel documents to bring their baby home just before the military invasion began and despite advice we know for surrogate parents not to travel to the Ukraines, the Moynihans, we had spoken about them last week on the programme they were in, like parents in a lot of other similar situations, they felt they had no choice, they needed to be there, their baby son had been uh, born now the couple had planned to spend an extra few days in the Ukraine but they got a call over the weekend from their solicitor saying you need to evacuate and you need to get out of Ukraine as quickly as possible. So they did that. They scrambled and they managed uh, to get on planes and they managed to get out and then finally on Tuesday morning they arrived back on Irish soil and I know Dad Dermot was saying just how emotional it all was and how exhausted they were and when they landed and finally landed and they were heading through the security gates and obviously they had to hand over all the paperwork to prove that uh, baby Luke was their son and they said, you know, the security guard looked at them and said, welcome home. And they said it was just an amazing experience. And actually, when I was reading about that scene at the airport, it brought me back to when we went to Belarus to adopt Marsha. And I remember that, that now we obviously didn't have a war uh, in which to deal with, but there was just all the paperwork and getting everything and making sure everything was in place. But I remember that scene at Dublin airport when we arrived and we had to hand in all this official paperwork. And I remember the security guard doing the very same thing, looking at at us and as a family saying welcome home and it brought tears to my eyes as well so I could just imagine what the Moynihans uh, went uh, through and we wish them nothing but uh, luck on their journey of parenthood and uh, welcome home to little baby uh, Luke. And I see the Lord Mayor of Cork uh, tonight has directed that the Ukrainian flag will be flown for from uh, City Hall and that City Hall will illuminate in the Ukrainian national colours tonight as well. And the Lord Mayor of Cork, Colin Kelleher, saying to the people of Ukraine, our city stands with you. Now, as the world watches in horror what is unfolding in Ukraine, for people living there, they are now experiencing their worst nightmares. Bantry native Eugene O'Sullivan is in Ukraine and he joins me to explain how he and his family are uh, getting on. Good morning to you. Eugene. Uh, good afternoon, Patricia here, but good, uh, good morning to you. And listen, you, um, you're welcome to the programme and, and it really is, is good uh, to talk to you. Uh, can you just start by explaining where exactly you are in Ukraine and have there, has there been any attacks in your area? So far, there has been no attacks in the area where I am and I am five hours east of Kiev. I am 30 kilometers in north of Poltava city called Tikanka. And here there's about a population of 8,000 people. So far, nothing has happened here. But we don't have any military infrastructure here either. So there's really nothing here to bomb uh, for the Russians. But I would expect maybe when they're coming through, you can have military tanks passing through at any time. But 
I can't confirm that either, but they're only just about an hour away from us, to the north of us and to the east of us. And is there a sense of panic locally? Yesterday morning, it was absolute mayhem. Today it's okay, but yesterday morning there was queues at filling stations, there was queues outside pharmacies, there was queues at shops. Uh, It was unreal. But uh, this morning, it's very, very quiet. Very, very quiet. And also as well, cash machines yesterday, and the cash machines ran out of money. And I'm going to say this thing about cards. A credit card is much good to you if there's no cash in the machine. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're better... If you have cash in your pockets, you're not always king. Yeah, and, and, you know, there was a lot of diplomatic talks going on, you know, particularly in the, in the last number of uh, weeks. So did the invasion come as a shock or were you expecting it? No, I didn't expect it. Even my wife didn't expect it because Russian troops have been situated around Ukraine for the last 12 months. And it was like a fox waiting at the Hinos. That's the way I can describe it. And it just came out of the blue yesterday morning. Nobody expected it. Now, some people maybe did expect it, but the majority of the population didn't. They just said, oh, it's only probably all talk and it's only just a game between them all. Yeah, and certainly any any reality. yeah any video footage we were seeing coming from Ukraine while while you know Western powers were nervous about it. You know, people on the street just seemed to be going about their business as normal, and life seemed to be very normal in the Ukraine. Yeah, where I am here now, it's it's as quiet as it can before the storm. I don't know, but all cars are parked up quietly. There's hardly nobody on the streets, uh, but everybody is so far okay here as I speak to you. So. So life isn't normal then? I mean, I take it, is anybody going to work, for example? Some people may have to go to work for essential services. Just remember as well, there's martial law imposed in the country here as well. And just in case, what is martial law? Martial law entails that the Ukrainian military are in control of the country. And that's a decree, that's a decree given to the military from the president. They can come into your apartment they can take off your apartment, they can take your car off you on the side of the street, and you cannot do nothing about it. You have no more rights anymore. You do what you're told. If you're asked to work or man a place, you must do it. You don't ask questions, you do it. Yeah, and I heard earlier that the Ukrainian president has asked men from, uh, Ukrainian men from 18 to 60 not to leave the country, that they may be needed to go, to go to war. That's correct. And I will tell you this morning, my wife was up, just went out this morning uh, to one of the cash machines, but unfortunately it was empty. And as she passed close to the cash machine, there was a group of men, and they were all local reservists being called up to fight for the Ukrainian military. And she said they probably will never again come back alive. And some of these will be young men. And it's always the yeah, young men when, well, when it's I mean, war. Anywhere between, anywhere between 18 and 60. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's usually, yeah, it's usually just young men that they take. But um, I, I suppose yeah. when, when t- times get so desperate and, and, you know, the military force that the Ukrainians are trying to face off, it's a huge, huge military force that the Russians have. The Ukrainians don't have, no, anybody who is from Ukraine and pro-Ukrainian will not like uh, me to be saying this. 
they're outgunned, they're outnumbered, and the Russian soldiers are highly trained. And you're going to send reservists out. In actual fact, you're going to get more people killed again. Now, what do you do? Do you sit down so and not fight at all? <laughs> there isn't much of a choice, is there? No. But at the moment, Kiev is getting an awful bombarding since 4 a.m. this morning. I think it's absolute mayhem in Kiev at the moment. I'm only going by Ukrainian television here, and there's missiles raining down on the city at an enormous rate. Yeah, it's very obvious they're trying to take Kiev, isn't it? Kiev is the, the keyhole, uh, the, the key to the whole operation for Putin. Now, another thing that people should take note as well, that there's an awful lot of protests on Ukrainian TV last night. It showed a huge amount of protests in Russia, in a lot of Russian cities, against the war that's happening here. So, in my view, Putin needs to get a hurry up with this, because if he gets bogged down in here, you could actually end up with having a coup in Russia, and he could be taken out. I could be wrong in what I'm saying. Yeah, I saw video footage uh, on on TV of people protesting, you're right, in uh, Russia, and they were getting arrested by the Russians. Um, yeah, yeah they, they were being dispersed by, by, yeah, by, by the soldiers, by, the, by their own soldiers. Uh, and Eugene, what have you done yourself to try to prepare? Have you sort of stockpiled items to keep you and your family safe? We, I have enough here for two weeks roughly. We have water in case the water goes off because if the electricity goes out, the water pumps will fail. Um, I have backup generator here as well. We haven't had to need it yet. But it's all ready, and I spare some spare fuel, which I got before the invasion ever happened. So I'm okay, but I'm happy to share it with others as well that need. Did you think about um, Did you think about coming home? No, I did, but no, because family are here, and if I was in Ireland, no, and if I couldn't get through, I wouldn't know what would be going on. I'd be a nervous wreck. I'm happier here. I know what's going on. Whereas if I was in Ireland, you're not on top of things. You're only listening to what you're hearing from in the media. So you're, you're, you're going to stay? You're not going to make any attempt yeah, to leave? I, was, I had planned to come back roughly around the end of April, maybe start of May. And um, I got plenty of opportunities to go out. And I was told by the department to get out, to get out. That's the Department of Foreign Affairs and the Irish Embassy. Not just me, any Irish citizen that was here. But you just can't walk off just like that and leave others behind, that's being selfish. You're only just thinking about yourself and you're a complete mayfane or um, And before all of this, t- talk to me about Ukraine and as a country, what it's, li- what, what it's like and what are its people like? Ukraine is a big country. When I travel from Ireland and I drive through Europe, my biggest drive alone is Ukraine. It's where I am, I'm three-quarter ways through Ukraine, and that's a thousand kilometers uh, from the Polish border. And people don't realize the size of the country, especially from east to west. It's very, very long. And um, look, I know the road like the back of my hand, coming here from so many times. And I would also feel very, very sorry for people who are here, Irish couples who are here on surrogacy and are now trapped and stuck, can't get out, don't know anybody here. And my advice is to them, don't move, stay where you are. Because if you're trying to get out, 
at the borders, it's absolute mayhem at the moment because you could be there two days maybe before you could cross with the queues of people. And of course, all flights have been cancelled, so flying out is so not, is not an option. Airspace is closed. Airspace is closed. Yeah. For civilian aircraft, there's no flights out of here. And if you did go out, some of the filling stations have run out of fuel with a panic buying. So if you did travel, I'm just telling you now, there's, there's three clinics that I know of in Ukraine for surrogacy. One is in Lviv, which is in West Ukraine. The other one is in Kiev, and the other one then is in the city east of me called Kharkov. Now, if you're in Lviv, it's okay, maybe. But to get out across the border, if you're there two, uh, two days, maybe, give it even eight hours and you have a small child, an infant, how are you going to, how new, are you going it's, to cope? Yeah, it's a newborn and you baby. Have a language barrier. You have a language barrier then as well on top of it. Yeah. And you have a queue of people clamoring to get out as well. But so what... what anybody to stay. What is your hopes now, Eugene, as to what will happen? In Ukraine, it looks like that Kiev. When it, whenever it will fall, I can tell you that it depends on how strong the Ukrainian resistance is. Uh, the, the ground fighting uh, is really, really could play out for a long time. Would it end up like another Sarajevo? If you remember in the nineties, I, I do, I do, for months and months and months. No, I don't know uh, exactly, but. Unless the Ukrainian president will concede defeat, that's the only thing that might save the, the bloodbath. But I think that Kiev is going to turn into an awful bloodbath if they're going to keep fighting. And Putin says he doesn't want all of Ukraine. He just he just wants to reimagine the uh, his the border. He wants to. No, I, I I will tell you what actually happened at the beginning. It all happened in 2014. Previous to around this time eight years ago, uh, let's say in January, Ukraine was a normal country like, like Ireland, what we were living in. Not a problem. Then this EU trade agreement came up to be signed by the Ukrainian president at the time, Viktor Yushchenko, who was pro-Russian, and he refused to sign the EU trade agreement. He walked away from it. Then all hell broke loose. There was 100 people uh, shot by snipers, who were protesting against what he did. And the next thing, he ended up getting overthrown. He was, he was democratically elected. He was corrupt. But what politician, as they say, isn't corrupt, they say. And uh, I'm not taking on everything. Every politician is completely corrupt. But when you look at what goes on, especially in government circles, and uh, he fled to Ukraine. He fled out to Crimea, which is at the very, very bottom of Ukraine. You, you see that little peninsula should remind you a little, a little bit like Aladdin's jar when you look at it on the map. And um, then Russia annexed Crimea and the, also these Russian separatists in East Ukraine in the Oblast. Oblast is another name for a county, but an Oblast is bigger than a county. Um, in Lugansk and Donetsk, these two Oblasts rose up, not all of the whole lot of the Oblasts, but about a third of it. And these Russian separatists rose up which is his home turf as well. And they want and to be part of Russia, not Ukraine. They want to be part of Russia. Yeah. No, they got help from Russia. No, Russia will say, we're not going to do it to it. We, we had nothing to do with them. That's their own being. But they were supported, financed and armed by the Russians. And that was for a stalemate for the last eight years. Until this week. Skirmishes. And, and then there was about, there was something around 14,000 people had been killed in that skirmish. 
Now, we have a lot of talk in Ireland about troubles where there was over 3,000 people killed over 30 years. This is 12,000 over the period of eight years. Now, what happened then after that was you saw what happened on Monday. Russia officially recognised these two breakaway republics and incorporated them into the Russian Federation. Now, I didn't expect that there would be an invasion towards the morning. I thought that was the end of it. But I also think that the United States, and people will hammer me on this, the United States and NATO did not help the situation either. Putin had demands that he wanted to be addressed by the United States and NATO. And he was basically told to F off. And then he had his troops all around Ukraine, and he wasn't going to pull them back because he'd look like a complete idiot if he did that. And he wouldn't be able to deal his hand of cards if that happened. So in the meantime, then, what happened was... um, um, I'm so tired from talking. I know, I know, I know. No, I just continue on with it. And I don't want to be boring Irish people listening to this, but uh, what is happening here is actually going to drive prices, fuel, everything will go... As bad as it is, it's going to go mental. Yeah, but lives... Yeah, but you know, like, anyway, we saw what happened. We saw what happened last uh, Monday. These two uh, areas were incorporated into the Russian Federation. And on yesterday morning, then, we had this full-scale invasion. I, did, I want to get back to the United States and NATO. Putin wanted a few demands. He didn't want Ukraine joining NATO. The reason he didn't want Ukraine joining NATO is they did join NATO, the United States could come in then and put cruise missiles right outside Russia's back door on Ukrainian territory and have them aim but, for Russia. But Ukraine is an, is an independent sovereign state. That's if what they, they're if, saying. Yeah, That's but if, they're if saying. they want to join NATO, they should have been allowed to join NATO. No, you know. no, Patricia. I want to tell you what happened, and we have to go back a small bit to the 90s. There was an agreement made between when the Soviet Union collapsed at the time. There was an agreement made between NATO and the United States that the following countries would not join NATO and that NATO would not expand East beyond Germany. What happened? Next thing you had Estonia join NATO, Latvia, Lithuania, Poland, Czech Republic, Slovakia, Hungary, Romania and Bulgaria, all members of NATO, uh, cruise missiles in Romania, yeah, uh, yeah I know, I know. I accept the point you're making, yeah. and, and Russia wasn't going to take that line no. down. Okay, all I'm right. Listen, to, I, I, to, yeah, yeah I, we yeah. we'll be here all day with a with with the, with the history a uh, history Patricia. lesson. Yeah. All, all right, but just you understand, Patricia. That's where it comes from. I know, I know, I, I do, I absolutely yeah. do. But I also understand, you know, that Putin is is saying that Russia, there, his plan isn't to invade Ukraine. He's just intent on redrawing the boundaries, is what he's yeah. saying. Listen, we will stay in contact yeah. with you, uh, Eugene. Um, there's a text in from is it Mary Carney? Is that one of your neighbours to say I'm praying Maybe. for Eugene and his family and all the people there? Eugene is a great uh, man and he really knows what he is talking about I want to wish him all the best that's from Mary Carney and uh, lots of other people wanting to wish you well and hoping that you stay safe we'll keep in contact with you Eugene okay Uh, and just look after yourself look after yourself that's the main thing and keep your family safe thanks for joining us that is uh, Eugene O'Sullivan a native of Bantry but now living in Ukraine 0818 103 103 John Paul taking your calls you can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 Court to 
today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Staying on the topic of the military invasion of Ukraine by uh, Russia, joining me to discuss the European reaction, I'm joined by Ireland South MEP Billy Kelleher. Good morning to you, Billy. Good morning, Patricia. Billy, this is an act of aggression against a sovereign and independent country. Would you agree with Ursula von der Leyen when she said this is bringing war back to Europe? Well, it is. I mean, there is a war unfolding as we speak. Uh, Russian troops have invaded a sovereign country. Uh, People are being killed. And uh, obviously, President Putin and the Tuggery and just the appalling uh, ways that they're behaving in terms of having no respect for international law uh, is clearly bringing war back to Europe. And that is a very sad uh, issue in terms of humanitarian crisis immediately and the, you know, the pressure being put on the Ukrainian people. But longer term, uh, I mean, this destabilizes the world order. Uh, it shows that Russia no longer expects the rule of law and international treaties and obligations and that they feel they can do what they like, when they like, because of their military might and obviously the ultimate threat, as President Putin said the other night, in terms of nuclear uh, war as well. So we really are in a new dispensation in an unfortunate way uh, in Europe. Yeah, it's quite heartbreaking. I, I mentioned the photographs that are in today's papers. It's just hard to believe that this is what we're looking at in uh, 2022. The sanctions that were spoke about yesterday, uh, will they help to change the mindset of the Russians in any way, do you believe? Well, they won't help to change um, the, the next number of weeks in terms of the military invasion and whether or not um, you know, they're going to hold the, the entire Ukraine or whether they're just taking the Russian-speaking uh, parts of Ukraine or whether they're not they intend to withdraw at all. So, I mean, we simply do not know what his motivation and his you know, plan over the next number of weeks. But the sanctions will take effect in terms of hurting the economy and Putin's cronies and wealthy oligarchs that underpin uh, his autocratic regime. But uh, in the short and medium term, it will have very little impact on what's happening in uh, the Ukraine at the moment. You saw photographs of, you know, uh, neonatal uh, units being transferred from hospitals to underground shelters uh, in, in Dipro in eastern Ukraine. Uh, we saw a tank uh, crushing an elderly man um, in a car uh, in, in near Kiev. So, I mean, these are the type of things that are obviously happening across the entire country. We're just witnessing a very small amount of them. So there is casualties. There is a debt and destruction and the banking sanctions and the other sanctions that we brought forward will do nothing in the next number of weeks, unfortunately, to deter Putin and his military tugs from what they're doing in Ukraine. But longer term, it will have an impact. And it shows a solidarity. I mean, clearly there will be not a, a military response from... Can you just uh, explain that to listeners? I can see a number of listeners saying, why are the EU not sending in um, uh, troops? The EU going to war with Russia is not on the cards. Well, the EU is not a military organisation. I and mean, the European Union is a political organisation. It doesn't have a standing army. Uh, it is not part of um, you know, any uh, aligned military defence system. Uh, what, what is though, obvious is that there's 22 of the 27 member countries are members of NATO. So, I mean, like individual countries um, that have signed up to NATO uh, and are part of the defence of the broader European continent, but not the European Union itself, um, you know, is, is the case in point. But I don't believe that there will be any military intervention because, number one, Ukraine is not a, a NATO country. And um, in the event of there being a military intervention, you know, we would be looking at 
you know, catastrophic um, casualties uh, with the sheer numbers of uh, Russian troops and what the NATO could bring to bear in terms of military hardware as well. So that's not an option. And uh, what we must try and do is use the sanctions and diplomacy and see is there enough, any reason left in the Kremlin and in Putin to realise that what he's doing longer term will not be good for Russia. Uh, it will destabilise them. The economy will shrink. There'll be uh, huge difficulties in terms of the sanctions longer term. But um, at the moment, um, he obviously is not listening to diplomacy. Do you think the Russian ambassador should be should be ejected out of Ireland? Well, in truth, if I, I'd like to see, obviously, a uniform um, uh, decision across the European Union in terms of the diplomatic response. But if I had a say, I would have had him frog-marched uh, from the Russian embassy at this stage and he would have been on a plane uh, already back to Moscow. Because what they did and what he did in terms of his uh, his performances on the Irish media, basically speaking to the Irish people, there was deception, there was lies, and there was just an appalling um, breach of trust by the Russian ambassador in terms of what he said to the Irish people over the last number of days. He said clearly that there was no invasion being planned, that there would be no military action, uh, that uh, Russia was a friendly country, and everything that we've seen unfolding the last two days would suggest that he was taking the Irish people as fools and he should be in Moscow, not Dublin. Okay, and just very finally, do you believe European countries, including us here in Ireland, will be open to taking refugees as a huge number of Ukrainians fleeing their country? Yes, I think, Patricia, of all the things that we can do, I mean, look, there's not going to be military intervention from um, NATO or from individual members of, 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 of the European Union acting on their own volition. So, I mean, what we must do is put sanctions in place to hurt Russia. But in the immediate term, we need to ensure that we extend a humanitarian hand uh, to Ukraine. So in the event of there being uh, an exodus of uh, refugees or people fleeing uh, the country, that we must do everything possible okay. to facilitate that. Okay. And that's something that we can do. All right, Billy, listen, thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us. That is Ireland MEP for the South, Billy Kelleher. A quick break and we're back chatting with A.D. Roach of the Chernobyl Children's International. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. The seizure of the Chernobyl nuclear plant yesterday by the Russian forces, I have to say, sent shivers of fear down my body. Aidy Roach of Chernobyl Children's International is now calling on all involved not to make the exclusion zone a zone of war. And Aidy joins me. Good morning to you, Aidy. Good morning, Patricia. I, I thought of you yesterday yeah. when I was following the, the yeah. tweets. Is this your worst nightmare? Do you know, I swear to God, if I was to ever... Yeah, I, I feel like I'm living it at the moment, Patricia, because we had talked about this maybe a few weeks ago, you know, about this was a weak spot on the border um, between Belarus and Ukraine. And I often felt if you were to really think war-minded, you know, tactically, that if you were to look for a weak spot to get into Ukraine, that this would be the area because it's least uh, patrolled. Uh, it's also so highly radioactive and dangerous that you think that nobody in their right mind would ever go in there. But if you're in a war frame of mind, this would be a weakness. And that's exactly what they did. They poured in, came down through the lands which were once inhabited by beautiful towns and villages and schools and hospitals and are now left all deserted. And they rolled their tanks right down to the reactor site. And like in a sense, Patricia, 
there's this idea in my head that they're almost holding not just Ukraine, but indeed the world to ransom. I mean, imagine turning the world's most radioactive environment into like a war zone, a battleground. And in a way, um, like the potential for what can happen here, because there's the, the reactor itself, which is encased, as we know, in a cover. But like that has... 97% of the waste is still in there. Then there are all the tanks and the holding places for the nuclear waste from it. Any of those could be hit. Any of those have the capacity to cause a massive catastrophe to make Hiroshima, to make Nagasaki, to make Chernobyl pale into insignificance. And to me, Patricia, I feel so strongly about it. I believe this is a war crime. Uh, but but the, re- the release of any of what the contamination, particularly what's under the new sarcophagus, I mean, that wouldn't only damage Europe. It would damage the entire Russian region as well. Absolutely. That's why it makes no sense. And I'm hoping that Putin somewhere in his mind is thinking to himself, like, enough is enough, we'll move on. And that, But you know what, what I suppose the world needs to, you know, hopefully take from this? The places that we thought would be off limits, sadly places like the Chernobyl exclusion zone, it's an exclusion zone because it's so dangerous, but also any other nuclear reactor facility would be deemed by the Hague Conventions to be off limits. And I'm hoping that by calling on the Hague Conventions, which kind of controls the conduct of what happens in war, that places like this become off limits. Uh, because the, 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 you know, it's incalculable. The risks are great. And as you said there, Patricia, like the, you know, that's the sarcophagus over the reactor. Like if that was penetrated, like it's, you know, it is not just Europe. Uh, you're right. It is Russia. It is the whole world. Um, so in a sense, I, I suppose we're saying in the name of humanity, not just the Ukrainians, not just the Belarusians or Russians, but we're saying for all human beings, north, south, east, west of the globe, we need to say to make this, you know, a no war zone. zone. Yeah, and yeah. that's where we should start. And Patricia, do you know where I hope what, something that might come out of this, like even from the appeal today, is that Ireland, as a proud, sovereign, neutral nation, really decides to become a peace broker because we've no skin in this game other than survival of humanity and that we look to our government and to our representative on the UN Security Council, Ambassador Geraldine Nathan Byrne, who's brilliant, to try and get them to push for a declaration of ceasefire in that region and then to lead on to giving peace a chance throughout the region. There is still time to pull this back. Well said, well said. OK, we'll keep in contact with you, Eddie, in the meantime. Thank you for that and uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, g- good morning to you. And that is uh, Eddie Roach of the Chernobyl Children's International. By the way, they are continuing as best they can to keep their work going uh, in both Belarus and in uh, Ukraine. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Just uh, hearing on the breaking news that the retired detective Ben O'Sullivan, who survived the IRA gun attack in a day or 26 years ago, sadly passed away uh, this morning in Limerick. He was uh, 76 and we will all remember that attack in a day. It was the morning of the 7th of June. It was 1996 when uh, Jerry McCabe was seriously injured and of course his friend, no, his friend Jerry McCabe was killed while Ben O'Sullivan 
them was uh, seriously injured. They were accompanying a, a, a post office cash van. Remember the, the, in the time when it was the Gardaí would always go with the cash van when they were delivering to banks or they were delivering to post offices. And of course, they were attacked by an IRA gang of four men. Detective McCabe was shot dead and Detective Ben O'Sullivan was seriously uh, injured. And of course, we know four men were subsequently given prison sentences for the um, uh, attack. And the flag is flying at half-mast at Henry Street Henry Street Guard the station in Limerick today and a book of condolences has also been uh, opened and it seems Detective Ben O'Sullivan had been ill for a short time and he survived by his uh, wife Anne, his son and his two daughters. May he rest in peace and we pass on our deepest, deepest sympathies to Anne and to the uh, children. Say it's just news just breaking out of Limerick. Now some of your thoughts coming in on Ukraine not a lot of commentary coming in on uh, this. Some of your calls. Oh, before we get to your calls, John Paul has just spotted it's an American journalist has been tweeting from Ukraine. He has actually been walking in Ukraine for the last 20 hours and he walked until he could get to the Polish border and obviously he was stopping and talking with people along the way. And he said along the way, when he was, he met up, they made friends with a 24-year-old Ukrainian man by the name of uh, Max. And as they were talking to Max, Max got pulled out of his uh, caravan to be conscripted into the army in Ukraine. This journalist said, I just about had time to get his telephone number before his conscription and he left with a grin of utter disbelief. I'll never forget his uh, face. And that's what's happening. We know that the Ukrainian president, in order they're trying to defend their country, they're not allowing any any man between the ages of 18 and 60. They're not allowed to leave and they've all been conscripted into the army. How many of them will survive. It's it's just shocking to think about it. And then a number of people are on about, you know, why isn't the world doing more? John and Castor Roach is saying if the West want to help Ukraine why do they not let Ukraine join NATO? They would have the support of the world then. And of course if they were members of NATO it would be very different than the NATO forces would be standing up uh, to Russia. But remember again, and I don't want to get into all of the history of it, there was plans for NATO membership of uh, for Ukraine back in 2010 but the then president that Eugene O'Sullivan who's from Bantry in Ukraine spoke about earlier he preferred to keep the country more aligned to Russia than to the Europeans and for that reason the NATO membership didn't uh, go through and there's been so many people now against it including the Americans I think who really don't want to be seen to be standing up against Russia because they don't want to end up in a world war with uh, Russia either so this you know but yeah that's the reason why the troops certainly been sent in. Uh, Richard says, I think that they should call Vladimir Putin's bluff and in no uncertain terms it's time to withdraw. The Russian president said himself the sanctions will only go so far and he said he will go so, so further. He said he wants confrontation. I know it won't go down well with everyone. Nobody wants war. Uh, but Richard reckons it's time to call his uh, bluff. And I'm not sure, are you saying go to war, go to all out war uh, with uh, Russia? Remember, I think the comment and the quote that you're talking about from Vladimir Putin was, he says, and I quote, this was from Vladimir Putin yesterday and for the second time he addressed the Russian people. And he said, whoever 
tries to stand in our way or create threats for our country and people should know. Russia's response will be immediate and lead you to consequences you've never encountered in your history. My God, what a threat to make to the rest of the world. And obviously to me, what he's hinting at there is they have nuclear capability. They have... They have nuclear bombs and I think that's what the whole world is fearful of if we end up in a nuclear war well it's all over for all of us then isn't it? Some of your texts in Patricia one of one of Putin's aims will be to try and disrupt fuel supplies to the West and therefore damage European industry. We can all do our bit says John in Cork to help the people of Ukraine by reducing where possible our consumption of fuel and make sure that our industries are not short of fuel says John. There's an an individual thing that we can all uh, do. Ross says uh, thanks so much for your report from Eugene O'Sullivan earlier. He gave a really clear description. Sue in Domanway, why can't the rest of the world send in the troops to help if you see somebody being attacked on the streets you don't just talk, walk away it's a crazy situation they need our help help them fight the mad Russians and the power of the Russians against this tiny this the, the military power of Russia against Ukraine it's just yeah it's, it's just I can't even think of a comparison it's just there's no really comparison you can make expecting a country like Ukraine to stand up to the power of uh, Russia and Dennis says Patricia just a point that people everybody needs to consider every time somebody objects to a nuclear power nuclear power plant or wind farms now are indeed into the future. They, according to Dennis, are condoning the import of Russian gas, oil or coal and the slaughter and the murder of innocent men, women and children and the annexation of sovereign countries. Dennis, you know, saying all the more reason why we need to look to alternative sources of power so that we are not relying so much on uh, Russia. Hi Patricia, this is uh, by uh, WhatsApp. This new war is very sad but what makes me so mad is listening to the British government saying how wrong Russia is by their invasion. If that's wrong then, why don't the British give back the Falklands Islands, Gibraltar and Northern Ireland? Is it that way, isn't that the way they got those places and more? So really are they any better than Russia when they looked to their own past? That's by WhatsApp and also by WhatsApp. Morning Patricia, just a thought on the Russian invasion. It's all very well putting up flags in support of the Ukrainian people and telling the Ukrainian Ukrainian people were standing by them and holding rallies etc. The European Union can talk all they like but maybe sure Putin was ready but maybe Putin was already ready for all of these sanctions. The Ukrainian president said this morning that they are alone. Europe is not coming and he's right they are alone. Would they, for the love of God, the leaders, get off their soapboxes and go and help them? This really is a disgrace that what we are watching unfolding. And yeah, they're not, the, there's no one, there's no army certainly coming to help out the Ukrainians. And hence the reason why they're now doing the conscription in their own countries of all men from aged uh, 18 to uh, 60. How many of them will die in the uh, process? Doesn't bear thinking about, does it? 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. Into Donny Island Lodge and Spa. They're holding a recruitment open day that's going to be happening this coming Sunday. 
An online and wholesale order processor is wanted for Skull in West Cork and an operations manager is also required. Email your CVs please to accounts at anydas.com. Part-time cleaner wanted to work Friday to Monday. That's 20 hours per week and it's in a bar in Mallow. Bar staff are also required for part-time hours. If you're interested in either of those jobs, 86 0429551 or 086-827-1700. And Debbie's Hair Salon in Mallow, they're looking for an experienced stylist. Please drop your CVs into the salon and Debbie's Hair Salon is Bowling Green Car Park. You'll find all the details and many, many more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is... C103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Now there's been a 42% increase in the number of parents reporting abuse of them by their own children. Parentline says that the unspoken side of domestic violence is on the rise with parents reporting to them um, instances of abuse by their children. CEO of parent line is Aileen Hickey who says there is help available but many parents are reluctant to seek it. Aileen joins me this morning. Good morning to you Aileen. Good morning. I'm very well. You're, you're welcome to the programme. I suppose firstly can you outline what form does some of this abuse take? Yeah. So, so I mean we had, first of all we had a rise across the board in terms of uh, calls for the helplines of about 47% last year so it was a massive spike but the biggest spike was in what is kind of, I suppose, issues to do with anger, aggression, and abuse. And they kind of, a lot of them fall into the category of child to parent violence. Um, now, child to parent violence can be physical violence, but it's not always physical violence. So it doesn't always mean it's kind of a 16 year old young fellow throwing his mother up against the fridge door every night of the week or anything like that. So you, the same as any other form of domestic violence, there are a lot of abusive behaviours that fall under it, as in verbal abuse, uh, emotional abuse controlling behaviours, manipulation, um, school refusal. But at the end of the day, as essence, what child parent, what child parent violence does is it leaves a parent afraid in their own home of their own child. Now, I think when a lot of people think of domestic violence or domestic abuse, you know, they, they, they perceive it to be, you know, partner-to-partner violence in the domestic setting. Um, so that's why I'm saying this is the unspoken side of it, because this is also in the domestic setting, it's just the child's parent violence. So it's still forms part of domestic violence. Um, now, in terms of the, the, the rising calls, we can only report what we get. So, you know, I'm not saying that it has risen. I'm saying the reporting has risen, which is fantastic in its own way, because, you know, I suppose parents are more likely now to seek a bit of information and a bit of support and a bit of guidance in relation to it. Uh, which when maybe they haven't been in the past because it's the worst thing about any form of domestic violence, but you know, it, it also child parent violence is that it, it certainly brings a level of, of shame and you know of powerlessness to the parents, and um, it, it can lead parents to feel that they have somehow failed, even though they haven't, um, and you know they, they they just don't know what to do. They kind of you know so it's not something that they want to discuss within their family group or a family gathering or with the neighbours or friends or through gates. Because, you know, most parents don't understand how 
this has happened in their own homes. Yeah, how uh, how could we have gotten to this? And and I and I'm assuming because we know that there was an increase in uh, domestic violence, partner to partner domestic violence, because of the pandemic and everybody being sort of locked in together and no escape from any people. Uh, could that have led to an increase as well in this type of abuse? Yeah, I think that, you know, the pandemic. You know, you can't certainly what was going on in terms of child care and violence because, you know, essentially a lot of homes became, you know, a, a kind of a, a, a boiling pot because, you know, parents and children are being forced together in um, more close proximity and for longer periods of time than they would normally be. So it certainly would have exacerbated or, you know, a lot of the issues maybe that were bubbling underneath certainly rose to the surface. So it certainly, you know, it, it certainly did help. Now, I mean, there was also the difficulty of the parents working from home. There was difficulty, you know, with educational and, um, you know, and uh, the big exams, you know, as you know, with, with what form of leaving service we're going to take. There was children off school. So, you know, the, the whole thing kind of, I suppose, pushed a lot of parents and children to the breaking point. But what we see also uh, interesting enough, which is that the, the vast majority of our callers are female and the vast majority of the child parent violence is directed at the mother. Um, now, it can also be directed at the father and can be directed at siblings, but but the vast majority of it is directed at the mother. And it's generally, um, it, 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 again, the majority is boys. There's about two-thirds boys. And the, the the age category is usually kind of between the ages of, kind of 13 and 17. Now, it can be younger than that, and it can certainly be older than that, because, again, we would get a lot of calls from parents who are reporting issues with their adult children, essentially their children who are 18 and older. And, and because we have a housing crisis, exactly. Aileen, we have a number of adult children who in normal times wouldn't be still at home and are now. Absolutely. And that's, that's a huge issue because so there are adult children who are remaining far longer in the family home because of uh, rent increases and all the rest of it. Um, and then there are also adult children who are returning to the family home. And it makes it a very difficult situation for everybody. You know, I mean, those adult children, obviously, as well, but but, but also the parents who are living under the same roof, you know, as adult people. Um, and, you know, so there's a lot of family friction there. So you get a lot of calls um, from parents of, you know, children. children. I mean, they're right at the age of 22 and 23, um, and, you know, in relation to the calls that they would take on the health line. So, um, I mean, that's what we have. I think you mentioned that we have a program called the Non-Violent Assistance Program. It's a program that is specifically... Um, there to assist parents who are dealing with child parent violence. It's a program um, that a, it's a one-hour uh, phone call once a week for about eight weeks um, on a one-to-one basis, totally confidentially. Um, and the, it's essentially what the program seeks to do is to de-escalate the situation that's, that's going on in the home, you know, to take things down a couple of notches, because essentially what it does is it, um, it takes the parents to change their own reaction to the behaviours that are being... Um, exhibited at them, um, and then that in turn brings about a behavioural change in the child. Now, again, like everything, it's not a magic bean, and it's not a magic wand, and it takes a lot of commitment from the parent you know, to follow through with what is being suggested in the programme. And the other issue is that we have a waiting list for the programme, because wow. the demand for the programme wow. went up fivefold. I think fivefold was the, the demand for the programme to fivefold in 2020, and has stayed at that level. So since 2020, we have had to man- maintain a waiting list. Now we try and get through it. As, as quickly as we possibly can. And we have almost doubled the number of our volunteers that are trained in delivering the non-violence assistance programme. And it's a very specific training programme that 
volunteers have to go through in order to be able to facilitate the programme. But um, there were about 30 of our volunteers are now trained in delivering the programme. But even at that, we still have a waiting list of parents who are seeking the, the, the assistance of the programme. Um, and, you know, it, 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 the district goes longer by the day. But and one of the reasons that, you know, we want to highlight this issue, and I know the reasons you're highlighting it as well, is to try to get the message out to, to parents, you know, that they're not alone. They should be ashamed. They shouldn't be embarrassed. And that exactly and to exactly. and to reach out and, and talk to somebody about it. Yeah, that's exactly it. You know, as we say, you know, the sooner you ask for help, you know, the the, the better you will feel. But 100%, you know, the issue is, I suppose, again, as I, as I referred to earlier, is that it brings, you know, a sense of shame and a sense of failure. Okay, your phone. You, you just your your phone is drifting in and out a little bit on us, um, Aileen. Uh, but you, go on, try again. Yeah, yeah I, I'm saying that. You know, the, the unfortunate thing is that you know because it brings a bit of shame and, and secrecy, even though it shouldn't. Um, and you know, no parent, I suppose, ever sees this coming down the track to themselves. You know, they never see, you know, that their lovely child, in, at, you know, at some stage, you know, in their later years, that they're going to be afraid of their their child living in their own home. So I think it's really important. Um, to getting this out there. We have a very good website, the Parentine website is parentine.ie. There's a lot of information on the Parentine website on child parent violence and there's a lot of testimonials on it from parents who have dealt with this issue, dealt with this issue who have had this issue, who have been through the NGO programme um, and what essentially what that does is it just shows parents that they're not alone, that they're not the only ones dealing with this situation that it's in thousands of homes right across the country. Um, so, you know, I suppose it just shows them that, you know, it, it's not just them. Um, and, uh, you know, and that's really important. So, you know, I think for any parent, you know, to go on the website and have a look at what's there would be, is a big thing to do. Um, so um, uh, our lines are open, obviously, every day from um, 10 in the morning until 9 in the evening. And the Dublin number, 01 800, and that's 10 to 9, Monday to Thursday, and 10 to 4 on a Friday. We have the most fantastic bunch of volunteers who will give as much information and guidance and support um, as they possibly can. And as I say, while we do have a waiting list for the non-violent resistance programme, we do try and move through it as quickly as we can and give the parents as much support as they possibly can. Again, as I will say, it's not a magic bean and it's not a magic wand, and we wouldn't possibly promise to fix every situation but we certainly would. We'll try and help. Okay, and how, yeah. how would you react to this? Alyssa said, would you ask Aileen, what would Aileen ad- advice be to a, a family with an adult son, very much physical violence going on against the mother and uh, the father? I have suggested to this family that they should ring the guards. Says well, you know, I, I think actually the, the, the guards are, are a fantastic organisation and, you know, they're, they're not the big kind of bogeyman that some families may think of. But the community guards in a lot of areas are fantastic and they can be a huge, a huge assistance to families who are dealing with this kind of situation. Again, we also deal with adult children. We don't, you know, we don't cut you off at 18. So, you know, obviously that parent is welcome to join Parentine and, you know, we kind of support yeah. um, and information and guidance uh, we can offer. It, it, you know, it, it's a very difficult situation and there is no no easy answer. Yeah, yeah. And, and very hard to contemplate going down the route of a barring order against a son or a daughter because, you know, at the end of the day, it is your child. This is it, you know. So most parents, um, you know, they, they, again, that's also, I suppose, you know, 
why they don't report it because there is a sense of protection against their, their you know, to, to protect their child from the perception that um, other people will get of them if they, if they, you know, if they let on what's going on. You know, and I suppose what a lot of par- well, why a lot of parents would bring a confidential organisation like Parentine is that, you know, I suppose people feel that, you know, family members remember what you tell them and in 10 years' time, that's what they'll remember. I know, I know. It's a good point. It's a good point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, But you've 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 a right to be safe and at peace in your own house as well. Yeah, one hundred percent. You know, and I suppose the the other thing that that would be very important, particularly in relation to adult children, would be I think if if a parent is afraid of an adult child, they certainly need to have some sort of a safety plan in place. You know, if you go onto any of the of the the, um, choose the websites or either websites, or you know, if you Google safety plan. There are a lot of suggestions how to put a safety plan in place, but I think any parent who's afraid in their own home, um, particularly of an adult or an adult child, should have a safety plan in place. Okay. All right, listen, we leave it there, Aileen. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Sorry about the line. Thank don't you worry, sure. don't worry. Good morning to you. That is uh, Aileen Hickey, who is the CEO of uh, Parentline and that number that she gave out is the Dublin number 018733500 and it is totally confidential. 018733500. John Paul is taking our calls at 0818103103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk cmig.ie Now last November Kiss Game man Mick Cronin who now lives in Wilton suffered a life-changing and catastrophic injury due to a workplace accident. A group of family and friends have got together to fundraise to help out Mick and with more details I'm joined by Ryan McCarthy who's one of Mick's uh, friends. Good morning to you Ryan. Good morning, Patricia. You, Thanks for having me on. Well, you're, really you, you, you're, you're very welcome. I suppose start by telling me a bit about Mick. He sounds like a real gentleman and is very well known. Yeah, certainly. Look, I suppose Mick, as you said, he, he's originally from Kish Game, but he'd be very well known uh, in and around Canturk, Newmarket, um, and certainly in the, uh, towards Bishopstown for the last 13 years. He, he's been a volunteer in the GA Club. And and would be pretty well known all all throughout Cork, I think, and beyond. You know, he's he's got a a mobile home in Castle Gregory where we go in the summertime, so he's got friends from there in Galway as well. And look, he would have spent a bit of time in Chicago in the mid nineties as well, working in construction. And uh, pretty well known guy, um, pretty well liked guy as well, uh, Patricia. Terrific, and married to Karen and two children, isn't it? That's right. Uh, Sean is 16. Um, unfortunately, I suppose, in a way, Sean's birthday uh, was only four days after uh, the accident occurred on the 18th of November. Sean was 16 four days later. And in fact, Mick's birthday was only a day after the accident occurred. He, he was 52. Wow. So that's a, it's a, an unfortunate set of circumstances, uh, Patricia. But uh, Sean's a fantastic kid. And I must say, Alva as well, she's she's only just turned 18 and she's studying for a leaving cert. But uh both kids, I, I think, quite in the image of Mick, very calm and composed and uh, matter of fact and, and no drama from them. They're taking it each day as they come in and they've been outstanding as well as his wife, Karen. You know. Well done, well done. So take me back to that day, 18th of November last year. I mean, Mick leaves the house to head to work, normal days working. What happened? Well, uh, he had a fall, uh, a serious fall at work, Patricia. And unfortunately, from the injuries, um, 
he did severe damage to two vertebrae at the back of his neck, which broke. Uh, and unfortunately, it left him with no movement from the shoulders down. Um, and as a result of that, he had to spend 10 weeks on a ventilator. Uh, as he he lost the ability to move his his diaphragm, Patricia, and uh, couldn't breathe on his own. So because of that, he's had to learn to talk again and how to eat again. Now, thankfully, he's fully off the ventilator now, and we got great great news during the week in terms of him being moved to the National Rehabilitation Centre in Dunleary. But I think, look, it's it's testament to the strength uh, of character that Mick has. He is... You know, one of the strongest fellas that I know, um, and I think it's testament to him that he's he's come back from that early uh, serious kind of effect on him uh, to regain some level of of um, quality of life and and to kind of you know belt on now towards Dunleary as well, Patricia. But it just shows, doesn't it, uh, Ryan? How in the blink of an eye, your life can be turned around and turned on its head, and and not just Mick's life, but his family's life as well. Absolutely. Um, I mean, they've been, as I say, they've been excellent. Um, there's there's a no drama quality about them. I know I'm repeating that phrase, but they're, they're, that's the type of family they are. They, they take each day as it comes. And look, they've had massive support as well. I mean, the, the people of Bishopstown and, and his friends in the group have been outstanding. And I mean, what they're doing for Mick in terms of the matches for Mick event, I think is testament to to Bishopstown, not only as a GA club, but as a community as well, uh, in how they've gathered around the family and supported them. And uh, I know they're very thankful for that as well. Yeah, and do you know something, listening to you chat about uh, Mick and, and what I've read about him, he sounds like the type of guy, if this had happened to anybody else, he'd be out the front doing exactly what you guys are doing for him. Yeah, well, the way I'd put it to you, I suppose, Patricia, is I, I think anybody listening in this morning probably knows somebody on a, on a parish or, or community committee or in a group or in a club or if you're sitting around a dinner table at home right now, everybody knows a Mick Cronin. He, he is that hardworking guy, put on his boots in the morning, go out to work, support his family. He's a volunteer. He comes home. He does what he can for the, the local community with the GA club and the underage teams. And he's just a genuine guy, you know. He's, he'll watch his sporting events. He'll have the crack with you. He'll have his pint with you. But ev- everybody knows a Mick Cronin. Yeah, well said, well said, yeah. well said. That's a really well put. So he's still in. He hasn't, he's been in CUH since it happened uh, in uh, November. Correct. And the you say plans now for him to go to Dunleary. Yeah, that's that's the plan in hopefully in two to three weeks time that he would continue his rehabilitation in the National Rehabilitation Centre in Dunleary. And look at from our point of view, the longer he stays there, the better, because it's obvious then that he's making progress, you know. But as well as that, I suppose that the people in CUH have been fantastic as well, Patricia, you know. Um, I know there's a nurse, would you believe, from Mick's home place in Kish Game, <laughs> Carol, who, who's been a, a really supportive presence. Uh, the Kish Game Mafia goes far and wide, Patricia. <laughs> and they've been they've been an excellent uh, support to Karen. And, and Francis, again, a nurse in the neuro, neurological GA ward has been amazing to the, to the family as well. So the people in CUH, you know, Nico, a Spanish nurse who, when Mick was, you know, at a low point after the accident, volunteered for extra overtime and volunteered to take care of Mick and dragged him out of himself and, and, and got chatting to him about Spanish football. And it's, it's you know, it's the accumulated small kindnesses, Patricia, that you see in people after a weary two years that we've all had really kind of instilled that kind of belief in the, in the in the goodness of people again Patricia. Well know? said, well said and I, I believe it's Mick's love of sport that's really uh, helping to keep his spirits up 
Massively so, massively so. He he has an iPad in uh, in CUH. He's a huge Liverpool supporter. Uh, make make sure you're watching on Sunday. Um, <laughs> so he's a huge GA supporter as well. He's he's looking for the part of the county he's from. He's he's a football man through and through. They're a rare tribe in Cork, but uh, as good a football people as any place else in the country. And huge Cork GA supporter, huge Liverpool supporter. Watches his monster rugby as well. And look at I suppose. Even the ward he's in, according to Karen, can be, you know, where it's situated in the hospital can be quite dark at times, you know, and the bit of light that he's been getting in has been has, has been sport. And we've been so thankful as well to people from Munster and Ireland Rugby and Liverpool Football Club and uh, the Cork panels, both Cork panels. We've received great video messages of support. And uh, it, it's just, it's brilliant to have that kind of support for him because I know he's a very strong individual and all he needs is, is us behind him to, to do his best in terms of his recovery. Okay, so the support group has been uh, set up and uh, the first big, the main event is this uh, Matches for Mick. Tell me about that and tell me who's involved. Yeah, Matches for Mick, I suppose, is the brainchild of uh, Brian Corkbert, uh, the former Cork football manager. He's the chairman of the Bishopstown Club and himself and his brother Pat, who'd be a mentor on the underage teams with um, Mick and Alan O'Sullivan, the club secretary, came up with the idea to have two days of games on the 17th and the 18th of March. So every everybody in the club from under seven up to senior level, boys and girls, men and women, will be involved in playing games Bishopstown against clubs that have been invited in. And I suppose, again, Patricia, I mean, the mobilisation over two days and one of them being Patrick's Day of players from under seven up to senior is just amazing. I mean, you're talking about um, a small community army there. <laughs> um, and the plan, so the plan is to sell tickets. Um, now, look at just to make clear, Patricia, like we, we'd need Crow Park if everybody turned up, like you know. But uh, for this, if you buy a ticket, your your ticket is your donation to the fund. Perfect. So we have uh, a matches for Mick platform on the Bishopstown GA website, bishopstownga.com. So if people go on there and they click on matches for Mick, they'll see the options uh, of the ticket categories. There's the option to buy multiples within each category and you click on whichever category and you buy your ticket and that is in effect then your donation to the fund. Brilliant, brilliant. Okay, and this is all happening around the weekend, the, the, as you say, St. Patrick's weekend, 17th and 18th. Will there be other events, do you reckon, Ryan, into the future? Yes, planned? there will. Yeah, a good, uh, a good friend, uh, a good friend of the family, good cousin Jimmy Murphy, well known around Cantork. He's organising a, a golf classic for May the 7th and it's likely we'll be doing something at uh, the Kish Game Mafia, I'd say, will be involved at the end of the summer again, Patricia, in uh, organising an event there. So, look, at this won't be the only event, but yeah. we're, we're bringing it all under the, the Matches for Mick uh, banner um, in, in any way we can to support the great fella. Yeah, and I suppose the whole plan is to try to get as much fundraising done while Mick is go, you know goes off to rehab, uh, gets all the rehabilitation that he needs in Dunleary, and the whole plan is to try to get him home, is it? I mean, is that the long-term goal, right? Yeah, listen, that's the goal. Now, look at the, his immediate and his long-term care needs um, do provide a challenge. Um, and, and that's the nature of the fund is to is to support the family in whatever way we can. But yeah, look at in terms of that, that is the goal to get him home. Um, I know he'll be listening this morning and, and to say to him as well, Patricia, we're all we're all so eager for you to come home. Um, we're all so eager to see your smile again. And look at I'm just telling you, Mick, you keep pushing it on. You keep pushing it forward. The whole of Cork is behind you and, and your old friends in Kerry as well. And with this fund, 
we'll match your strength and we'll drive it on for you. Oh, yeah, it sounds like mix army. <laughs> I tell you this. Mix army is yeah, right, yeah. it's great. Uh, Jim says, hi Patricia, I was so saddened to hear about Mick Cronin's a- accident and like Ryan said, he's a true gentleman, a great GA man. It's great to see Bishopstown GAA club and everybody else supporting him in his uh, time of need. He is an amazing man and I know Mick will get huge support from everybody in the Duhalo, Cork and beyond and that's from Jim at one of our uh, listeners you um, thank you for that Jim and like you spoke about how well the kids are doing how is Karen his his wife uh, Ryan Karen is doing well um, Karen Lucas is a very strong individual and, and I know her her focus is on just keeping the family ticking over but as I say the, the support she's had around her from a lot of people you know in, in a lot of communities and you know uh, not just Bishopstown but uh, Karen will be kind of well known herself and uh people have been brilliant to her and uh, she's just she's getting on with it she's a great woman uh, but look at I suppose uh, the support that we're getting uh, I might throw a mention to my own village in Castle Martyr in East Cork as well we've had people on to us from everywhere um, and that's that's the support and the strength behind us and, and it's really helping the family an awful lot and so look at it's for anybody sitting around the table this morning or, or listening in to Patricia who can go on to matches for Mick and, and help us to support Mick, you know, it'll be greatly appreciated. Okay, matches uh, for uh, Mick. Keep in contact with us at uh, Ryan and if we can be of help in any way at all, uh, please let us know. We send on our very best wishes uh, to Mick and to Karen and to the kids and to that powerful team, uh, Mick's army that's uh, behind him here. An amazing bunch. Well done to each and every one of you as well. And listen, thank you for taking time out to talk to us today. Thank you very much for having me on, Patricia. Okay, really our pleasure. It. Our pleasure. Thanks a million. That is Ryan uh, McCarthy, who is one of Mick's friends. I think as well, he's kind of loosely a brother-in-law because I think Ryan is married to Ryan's wife and Mick's wife or sister. So they're kind of brothers-in-law uh, as well. So thank you to uh, Ryan uh, McCarthy and we wish the best of luck to everybody involved in hashtag matches for Mick. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Now, a email into the uh, programme uh, that says, uh, Hi Patricia, my 12-year-old son is a service user at St. Joseph's Foundation. Now, prior to the pandemic, we were getting respite about every eight weeks since COVID. The respite house has not reopened. Children and their families are now without respite care for two whole years. St. Joseph's Foundation are telling us that they simply can't get staff so that the service can resume again. I was wondering if you would highlight this issue on your programme, please, because there's lots of Leaving Cert students at the moment who might not be aware that there are many job opportunities in the area of social care. Thanking you, uh, says Sinead, and people might consider uh, social care. And there are, and it's, listen, it's not just St. Joseph's Foundation and I sense and feel your pain and how much you're missing the respite both for you as a family and also how your son is probably missing going to respite as well but that isn't just an issue for St Joseph's Foundation we've certainly discussed it before on this programme I mean all of the different organisations that offer respite are in are caught with the same problem obviously the houses were closed because of Covid and people needed to be protected and we understood all of that but everyone was of the belief that once restrictions were lifted as they are being now that you know co- respite houses would reopen but unfortunately a lot of those services have not come back and the main problem is that the organisations just can't get staff. It's a huge 
huge uh, issue. And that's something I hadn't thought about, you know, maybe saying it to Leaving Cert students who are looking at filling in CAO forms and, and this year certainly for Leaving Cert they're under a lot of pressure with points and points going up and points of course really went up over the last two years so the, the class of 2022 are feeling under huge pressure and maybe they're, you know, it isn't all about going on to, you know, a third level university and getting a, a degree or a master's degree that you know that there are other ways that you can leave school and go into training and get an education and get you know a good decent qualification that can lead into other jobs like social care and yes you're right there are a lot of vacancies within uh, social uh, care and I really do hope that all of the organisations that something is done but it's it's, isn't it that problem within other industries we highlighted it only during the week this week with chefs the lack of chefs within the hospitality sector there's a problem within the building construction trade there's a a problem so many industries are caught in that they have job vacancies but don't have anybody to fill the jobs and certainly social care is uh, one of them. Thank you for your email to patricia at c103.ie and Stephen in County Kerry thank you for your WhatsApp. This is reacting to something I mentioned yesterday on the programme. I was talking about that the Senate yesterday were discussing a private member's bill. Now it was a private member's bill that was put forward by three Fianna Gael senators who want to ban the practice whereby members of the public can go into a local bookies shop and bet on the national lottery and if this private members bill goes through then that would make that uh, illegal it would be outlawed and the only way you could do the national lottery is to do it in the typical and traditional way that people have always done it but for a lot of people they prefer the odds inside in the bookies shop now when I mentioned this yesterday and I said we'll keep a close uh, eye on it got a flood of texts and I have to say from people who do the lottery that way, who do go in and and like to do it at the bookies, also like to buy their lottery tickets, but for some, they prefer to do it at the bookies. And Stephen in County Kerry is one of those. And he said, Patricia, I was actually getting into the car yesterday when you were talking about the lottery and using the betting shop so I wasn't able to text you. Now, I nearly all of the time do my weekly lotto in the bookies. I do it now and the lotto are the ones that can blame. They can only blame themselves because the odds are astronomical and apart from the jackpot itself, I feel the prizes are simply not good enough. Just a few points I would like to to put to you today as in the three numbers that you mentioned yesterday. You must remember though when you go into a bookies you need to pick only three numbers So you do have to get three out of three, not three out of six, which is what you would normally do with the lotto. Also, there is is a game available at the National Lottery too, but so many seem unaware of it. The payslips are in every shop. It's called 54321 game. And in that game, you bet... uh, up to five numbers. The only difference are at the bookies pay out bigger odds. And I'll give you an example. A one euro bet on two numbers on the lotto game will pay you 40 euro. If you do that same bet in the bookies, they'll pay 60 euro. And so up along the line, if you pick three numbers, four numbers are are five numbers. Also in the bookies, you can bet any amount. So you can bet as little as 50 cent if you wish. Whereas in the national lottery, you can only bet on the 54321 games from one euro to five euro. I hope I didn't bore you. You didn't, you didn't, but you're a mine of information because I did say yesterday that I was, I've never done it in the bookies. I was unaware on how to do it. Anyway, we're going to keep an eye on this. It just came up at the Senate yesterday. It was this private member's uh, bill 
I'm assuming I haven't didn't see didn't spot anything in the papers today but if it if it passed yesterday in the Senate it then would have to go into the Dáil and I did mention yesterday the government uh, spokesperson uh, reckons that certainly within the government they won't oppose the bill bearing in mind that it's coming from three Fine Gael uh, senators but the government spokesperson t- did point out that there are very complex legal matters in relation to the issue and I know the bookmakers themselves uh, are saying that it's taking choice away from people as well so it's not going to be as simple as getting passed by the Senate and then it pops over to the Dáil and it gets enacted into law but it's just it has been spoken about at the moment okay so we'll keep an eye on that oh and I don't want to let the programme pass without saying how thrilled I was to read on the papers today that the wonderful Katrina Toomey of Cork Penny Dinners who has been to the forefront of feeding the less fortunate in, I can't just say in this city because it's across the county as well. She is to be honoured at the annual Cork Person of the Year Awards and she has been given a place in its Hall of Fame. And many people will say not before time. Katrina has been working for many years with a team of selfless volunteers providing freshly cooked meals to thousands of people who can't afford to eat. And of course, as we also know, they also hand out food parcels to people who literally open up the cupboard on a Wednesday and there's nothing left and they might be getting their social welfare payment or if they're at work, they might be getting paid until Friday and there's literally no food there and that's where Cork Penny Dinners uh, come, comes in. She is described by Shauna Reardon in The Examiner today as a leading light in what is a well-regarded uh, charity, bearing in mind that Cork Penny Dinners was founded in Cork during the famine era and it was set up initially as a soup kitchen and I imagine if you could go back to famine times and talk to the founders who set up the soup kitchen they were they set it up in the belief that it would run throughout the famine and once the famine was gone there would be no need for it I wonder could they have known that in 2022 there would be a need for that soup kitchen now more than uh, ever. So Katrina will receive the Hall of Fame Award at a Gala Awards luncheon, which is going to be held this day week, 4th of March in the Rochester Park Hotel. There's about 300 people will be attending. Arguably, Katrina Toomey and Cork Penny Dinners Charity is the most admired service ever established in Cork. And that's a quote from the awards organiser, Manus O'Cala, who says, always an open door, a warm welcome, open every day of the year, 365 days. Remember, they open Christmas Day and no questions ever asked. That's the one thing I love about Katrina and her great team. There's no questions. There's no questions and there's no judgment. If somebody turns up and they need help, then they are there for them. Katrina said a remarkable commitment to the charity. She's been volunteering with it now. And she does her volunteering that a lot of people probably don't realise. She does it seven days a week and she's been doing it seven days a week for the past 16 uh, years. She doesn't just like work Monday to Friday or so I'll pop in for an hour or two on a Monday and I'll see how they're getting on the Wednesday. She's there every single uh, day. And I know when I've spoken before to Katrina about how it all came about, you know, she'll cite her parents. She says that her mother and father instilled values of empathy and charity to her as a child. And actually her dad was a cook sergeant in the army and every Christmas as Katrina was growing up she remembers him providing dinners for the poor and the uh, elderly so the apple doesn't fall far from the tree uh, does it it's uh, but 
and but I think you know when you think about Katrina and how fantastic she is and you know and she says it was to do with how she was raised all of us with you know with children it's isn't it so important when we're raising children that we raise them still with those values of empathy for all not to question not to put down anyone and you know to realise that there but for the grace of God go any of us there will always be people in need and to instil in children at a young age how important uh, charity is so congratulations to Katrina Toomey and I know whenever she picks up any of these awards you know she'll say she's doing it on behalf of all of the volunteers who are all who all give of their time uh, selfishly and they are just the most amazing bunch of people and well done to Manus O'Callaghan for recognising Katrina with this Hall of Fame award and of course also on this day next week the 4th of uh, March the overall winner will be chosen for last year there's a monthly winner every year under the uh, the Cork Awards the Cork uh, there's a Cork Person of the Month award and then every month the 12 monthly winners then they get them all together early the following year and out of the 12 monthly winners there will be one overall Cork Person of the Year selected. So good luck to all of the 12 monthly winners from 2021 as they have that gala luncheon next week. But thrilled, absolutely thrilled for Katrina Toomey and Cork Penny Dinners. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie Ballinhasset Community Development Association they're welcoming back set dancers they're holding a Kaylee tonight half past nine Marion Hall in Ballinhasset 10 euro admission and teas will be served bingo's on in Mallow GAA complex tonight quarter past eight we've got a jackpot of 2,250 euro all are welcome and Kildallery's drive in bingo that's going ahead in the creamery yard tonight at eight from Oitide Towns are inviting people to a fundraising coffee morning tomorrow morning from 10.30am to 1pm. That's in the Wagon Wheel Tavern. An Upton Truck Run. It's a native Down Syndrome Centre in Cork. It'll also be held tomorrow. They start from the Bandon GAA Club at 3. Registration will open from 12 noon tomorrow. And if you want more information, you can check out their Facebook page, Upton Truck Run. And fundraising for the Jesters, that's the West Cork Mixed Ability Rugby Team, is ongoing at the moment. And you're pleased to ask to support their fundraising bingo night on Sunday night at 8. And that'll be in the Bantries Boys Club. All are welcome. Cork Today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. The heartiest congratulations to hopefully somebody from Cork who has won the top prize of €1 million Euro in last Wednesday's Lotto Plus One draw. The ticket was purchased. It was a quick pick ticket. It was purchased at O'Leary's Spa store at the Circle K service station, which is located in uh, Lasarda. Now, we were hoping to speak with Darrow O'Leary, uh, the owner of the store, but unfortunately, uh, he's, 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 there's a photo shoot going on. The National Lottery obviously down and they do all the publicity uh, around it. Uh, so he's not available to talk to us, but we just want to say congratulations to uh, Dara O'Leary. It's a family-run store in Lazard and they've been in business I think for the last uh, 16 years and seemingly there was massive excitement when this, the word broke that a €1 million Euro lottery ticket had been
been uh, had been purchased at the store and everyone obviously was being encouraged to check your tickets and if you haven't checked your ticket le- yet you don't need to check it now because the National Lottery have confirmed that the Cork winner has come forward and arrangements are now being uh, made for them to claim their 1 million euro uh, prize and because the store is on the N22 it does mean that they get a lot of passing trade so the owner could have been literally from anywhere and obviously the National Lottery aren't going to divulge information all they're saying is that the, the Cork winner do we assume from that do we read between the lines and we assume that it is somebody from uh, County Cork who has become the latest uh, millionaire and actually when that win was when that one million was won here in Cork on Wednesday night Cork we now hold a total of three National Lottery millionaires for 2022 and it's the highest for any county so far this year so we are doing well uh, congratulations as I say glad to hear that there was a great buzz around uh, Lasarda. now the census is happening on Sunday the 3rd of April and the reason I'm mentioning it today is from next Monday the 28th of February you can expect a census enumerator to deliver a census form to your home so the the enumerators have all been selected at this stage and actually we mentioned last year when they were looking for people to sign up for the job so they have enumerators for all over the country so the enumerators take to the roads from next Monday the 28th of February and they will deliver all of the census forms. The census form will be dropped to every single household in this country and they'll be there in time for census night Sunday the 3rd of April and then from the following day the 4th of April through to the 6th of May you can expect the numerator to call back and to collect your your filled in census form. There are 11 household questions on this census and then 33 questions are individual questions. So as always there's a huge amount of paperwork involved uh, in it but just to let people know I think were we due to do one last year or was it the year before and because of the pandemic they had to push it forward but the, the, the date is definitely going ahead now Sunday the 3rd of April and what's particularly interesting I think about this year's census form is the Minister Jack Chambers during the week was talking about the census and he was saying that for the first time ever households will have the opportunity to include a time capsule Message. They've never done this uh, before. When you're completing your census 2022, you can put something in. The message then will get sealed for 100 years. And it's not until 2122 that they will then publish all of the messages that are contained in this time capsule and they'll be published for future generations. And I just, maybe it's just me, but I absolutely love the idea of that. And I mention it now in case you are one of those people that just like to include something onto your census that will go into the time uh, capsule. And I'm already trying to think, what would I write about? What would I say that would be included in the time capsule that in a hundred years time, something would be, re- would someone would be reading about it? I mean, wouldn't it have been lovely if in the 1911 census that they'd done something similar and we were reading about 
what was going through their thoughts at the uh, time. So keep a lookout for that, a message. And that's optional. You don't have to do that. But that's going to be included in Census 2022. And we wish the enumerators all the luck. That's It's a tough job, isn't it, having to go out and having to go to court every single uh, household. And I think they do. I think each enumerator does about 400 homes. That's a lot of calling into people. And of course, when a census enumerator calls to your house they will be wearing a high vis census vest they will carry an id uh, badge and you are quite within your rights because we don't we want to make sure that nobody does takes on, uses this as a form of trying to scam uh, people uh, you can ask them for uh, ID and obviously the enumerators are available then to answer any questions that you may uh, have uh, from next Monday you can expect to start seeing your census forms popping through your letterbox 0818 103 103 John Paul taking your calls you can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. With some movie suggestions for the weekend, our movie reviewer Mark Malone joins me. Good afternoon to you, Mark. Hi, Patricia. And you went along to see The Lost Daughter and Death of a Telemarketer. Here is a quick trailer from The Lost Daughter. What were your daughters like when they were little? I honestly can't remember much, actually. Oh, no, you can't forget anything about your own children. Is that your experience? Your daughter, something happened. I felt like I'd been trying not to explode and then I exploded. And I have to say, I am a big fan of Olivia Coleman and Jessie Buckley is also in this one, isn't she? Yeah, and both of them don't leave you down. You haven't seen this, no? No, no. Uh, yeah, well, I certainly recommend it to you because uh, I think that you will certainly love this. Um, and both are terrific and both, of course, have been nominated. Um Olivia Colman has been nominated, I think, for Best Actress and Jessie Buckley as uh, Best Supporting Actress. The only surprising thing is that this has this film hasn't been nominated for an Oscar for Best Picture and Best Director of Maggie Gyllenhaal because it is that good. And that is kind of surprising, but uh, at least uh, they've kind of recognised uh, the two main performances in it, which are really, really quite extraordinary. Um, and it's an extraordinary film. And the thing is about the film is that, I mean, it could just simply be a film where a woman kind of feels sorry for herself because she didn't feel as though she was the best mother of the world. The film has way more layers than that. And there's so much to enjoy here because there's so much happening. Week in, week out, I come here and, and I talk to you and I, I talk about movies and uh, that I've seen on the Monday. I come to you on the Friday. I've forgotten completely <laughs> what the films are about. <laughs> I'm trying to remind, because they're so bland. But this film has stayed with me. And there are there's a lot in this film uh, that has stayed with me as well. I mean, there wasn't too much uh, talk in that poor, very poor kind of trailer there. And the reason is, of course, is that, um, you know, there's a lot of the camera just just loving the face of this extraordinary actress, uh, Olivia Colman, who can say more with one blink of an eye than most actors can. I mean, there's so much 
kind of in her face and her face is telling you so much without her uh, speaking uh, it is that uh, kind of powerful kind of um, uh, performance so basically when we meet her she um, is a woman who uh, is on her own she's been divorced her two girls who are in their 20s now have decided to live with their father so she feels alone and she decides that she needs some time alone and so she goes to Greece to a, a kind of an idyllic kind of Greek island uh, which is quiet. It's exactly what she wants and she's kind of sitting back and she's kind of enjoying it. And uh, then suddenly this group uh, arrive uh, from America and they're kind of a working class kind of family, about 10 of them, and they're very noisy and the whole kind of idyllic nature of her uh, kind of holiday is kind of ruined at that kind of moment. Uh, but also within that family is a young woman and her daughter and she spots and she notices that the, the daughter is very clingy uh, to the mother here played by Dakota Johnson and Dakota finds it very, very difficult uh, to kind of deal with that because she wants some time alone and she's finding the clinging nature of her daughter very very difficult that then uh, reminds um, Olivia Coleman of her um, kind of experience as a young mother and that's then when we get flashbacks because Jessie Buckley actually plays Olivia Coleman as a young woman ah. and even though yeah even though they don't actually look like each other but that Apparently, that never came up. I mean, Jesse Buckley and Olivia Coleman never spoke about, uh, you know, the accents. Jesse Buckley does have an English accent, but they didn't. They, they're not trying to impersonate each other, and it's almost like the film is saying, "Look, there's a difference now between these two. Uh, you know, the, b- between the personalities of this woman and how things have changed over the years." And she looks back with regret as um, she thinks and she believes that she failed as a mother. But the film isn't kind of that clear cut. It's not just kind of black and white. It's not just this woman feeling sorry for herself. There's way, way more layers um, to the story. And there's one extraordinary moment, for example, when Olivia Coleman is on the beach and this family comes along and they're quite noisy and she's kind of quite upset that they're kind of ruining her kind of idyllic kind of um, uh, Greek kind of holiday. And one of the women comes up to her and says, um, look, we there were loads of sunbeds on the on the beach and they said could, would you swap sunbeds so that our family could be together and she said no i'm not going to I, i'm fine i'm not moving and that kind of exposed another layer of her personality which i thought was incredibly brave because you know, she could have been sweet. She could have been lovely. She could have just felt that she, because, uh, you know, the, the pressures of being a mother was so difficult on her. But there is a selfishness side of her as well. When somebody asks her what kind of a mother she was, she doesn't say I was a good mother. I was a bad mother. She says I was an unnatural mother, which is an extraordinary kind of statement. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was very, very powerful. Um Throughout the film, though, I mean, the film is constantly referencing the fact that life is not idyllic and difficult. So she's in this idyllic place, but she can't sleep at night because uh, there's a foghorn going off. She's invaded by insects every now and then. So there's a lot of kind of subliminal messages here, but they're not in your face all the time. They're very, very well done. And it's only when afterwards you think about the film, you go, OK, that's what this is what Maggie Gyllenhaal here was trying to tell you and trying to say. Life is not simple. Life is not easy. We're all different people and we all behave and we all kind of find ourselves in certain situations, not necessarily because uh, throughout or because of our own selfishness or, or, or a, a kind of a direct response to a, a certain situation. Things happen around us that we have no control over. And it's very, very clever indeed. And I thought it was terrific. It's not perfect for me. At two hours, it was a bit long, I think. The photography at times, um, it reminded me of those kind of 
beach kind of French beach movies of like the 80s and 90s, like Eric Romer and directors like that, where there was a lot of close ups and with the camera and so close up sometimes I actually thought that I had changed the settings of my, my TV. <laughs> I actually thought I'd zoomed in at one stage and I was like, hang on, what's happening here? Because you couldn't quite see what was going on. There were just, those are just small <clears throat> those are just small little kind of uh, little things that kind of irked me slightly. The rest of the film I thought was uh, absolutely terrific though, and uh, Coleman is great, Buckley is great. There's more Irish interest as well because uh, Paul Mescal uh, also has a, a lovely of, part of normal people. Exactly, yeah. yeah. He plays a kind of an Irish student who's kind of working his way uh, through uh, Greece, you know, to earn some money in the summer. You've got Ed Harris, you've got Peter Sarsgaard. I mean, it's a pretty, pretty good lineup, and everybody is great. Um, but as I say, I'm, I'm surprised it hasn't been nominated for, for Best, Best Picture movie. because it did, is very, did very they, good indeed. Did they film in Greece? Uh, they did. And yeah. the other interesting thing, too, is that they filmed it in late September. So it's not a hot kind of Greek song. Yeah. I think they did that deliberately because, again, it was once again to show, look, this idyllic place is not necessarily as idyllic as you might think it is. And so there are times in the weather where it looks it looks a bit cold. And I thought that was clever. Um, but it's still beautiful to look at. And uh, it's a beautiful film and I'd recommend it. And you will love it. It's called The Lost Daughter. Market out of 10. I'll give it eight. Eight out of ten. Okay. And then Death of a Telemarketer, which is an usual name for a movie. Well, if you're a telemarketer, I'd beware here because it doesn't exactly kind of show telemarketers in in a very good light, uh, to to be honest. Uh, It's a small little movie and it might kind of just bypass a lot of people, uh, which would be a a shame because I think it's interesting. Again, it's not perfect, but it's got a terrific performance uh, by an actor by the name of uh, Lamorne Morris, who you would have seen in New Girl. He was very good in that and he's very, very good here as well. And basically he, he worked for this telemarketing company and he is completely amoral. I mean, he does not care. He's selling no matter what he does. And to sell, if, uh, for example, just before he rings, say, Patricia Messenger, he will find maybe your Facebook page and he will see who you are and what you're about and uh, who your friends and what they look like. And he will adopt different voices. He will adopt the persona of different people just to try and sell these people uh, on the phone, um, a kind of broadband, uh, phone and broadband. And uh, and he doesn't care. Um, he has um, a girlfriend. He wants to marry her, so he's he has um, taken a loan out uh, from a, a loan shark of uh, a certain amount of money to buy her a a ring, and he needs to pay him back. And to do that, he needs to be the best telemarketer in this company um, because they are given bonuses if they achieve a certain uh, you know level of success. And he is the best at it. And he's incredibly arrogant. And one day he rings this guy who's actually on a no-call list. And he's been called before and he's not he's not he's not pleased that this telemarketer has rang him. And um, and again he adopts the character. He he looks him up on Facebook. He adopts the character of a man that this particular gentleman would have gone to college with. Uh, the gentleman then points out that that person died 10 years previously. Oh. And then, yes. Um, and then I don't really want to kind of give too much more yeah. away, but the film, what happens then is that the film kind of changes its kind of um, its direction. And it then becomes a kind of a hostage situation, a hostage movie. Um and I thought that was a pity because I really would have loved to have seen and heard and, and more about the telemarketing kind of world. And I think that would have been fascinating rather than it then becoming a kind of a, a cliched hostage kind of movie that we've kind of seen before. I was just going to say, uh, film so many of those movies have been made. Exactly, yeah. And it, they, they, they basically undergo and do the 
pretty much what you would expect them to do. Although they do it in a very kind of comedic way at times. And Lamorne Morris is, is very, very good indeed. There's a lovely conversation between him and his kidnapper, for example, at one stage about going to the toilet. And the kidnapper gives him um, two minutes, 45 seconds. It's <laughs> <laughs> <is> very exact. <laughs> and and Lamorne says, hang on a second. So they have this kind of five minute conversation about how it's impossible for him to go to the bathroom in two minutes and 45 seconds. And so there's a lot of that. There's a lot of humour in it. Uh, Haley Joel Osment uh, is in it, uh, looking very different now than we did when we saw him as uh, as a as a child, and um, and it's entertaining. It's good, and I hope people don't bypass it. If you download it, it'll only cost you three ninety nine, and um, it's I was very very entertained by it. But um, and but it's all down to this uh, extraordinary performance by Lamorne Morris, and it's well, also just under an hour and a half. It's an hour. <laughs> Do you know what I noticed too? Is is it on? Is it on Amazon Prime? I think they have a, a section uh, which says ninety minute movies. Because oh, you're not on your own. There's a lot of people like that won't commit if it's over to us. Forget <laughs> I'm not committing to that. Okay, death of a telemarketer under the one hour thirty minute mark. Market out of ten. <laughs> I'd give that eight as well. Eight out of ten. All right. Listen, thanks yeah. for that. Have a lovely week and we'll chat to you next Friday. You're welcome. Thanks for that. That's Mark Malone, our movie reviewer. John Paul McNamara produced. Thanks to him. We'll talk to you Monday morning at ten on the Lamb Patricia Messenger. Very good afternoon. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.